Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the new Mainstream Podcast, where we explore the impact of multicultural consumers on marketing and media. I'm your host, Mario Carrasco, and co-founder of ThinkNow. Excited to introduce our guest today, Ray Ricky Rivera, founder of Norwalk Brew. Welcome, Ray. Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I recently um, got to taste the latest collab between uh, Norwalk Brew and Brujeria. It was the oh, it was a mango brew, which was excellent. Oh, cool! I'm, I'm I'm glad you had the opportunity to try that. Um, yeah, that was a mango pineapple wheat beer, uh, which was part of a right. series of beers. So what we did was we produced um, this mango pineapple wheat beer, but we did it four times, and each time we produced the beer, it had a different label, and proceeds from each sale went to a specific nonprofit. Uh, or, uh, a nonprofit that was working with uh, migrant workers. So, um, yeah, that's what that 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 beer was for. Yeah, I love that. I mean, and I've been, you know, following you on Twitter. I think um, a lot of us got connected during the pandemic, so it's been really cool to be exposed to. I mean, I'm a beer fan. I wouldn't say that I'm a I'm a connoisseur, um, but it is my go to adult beverage for sure. Um, so it's been cool, you know, through your Twitter, I've been just picking up knowledge on everything that's happening in craft brew and then specifically in like Latinos in brewing and then Los Angeles, which is really cool to see that there's this whole community, um, that really I was unaware of, to be honest. Like, I think my introduction to craft was like, well, I got a buddy that was like really into beer and kind of introduced me to craft beer. I wasn't really into it previous to that, but like what I considered craft and it's funny, they're no longer craft is uh, golden road, right? Like that was one of my f- favorite LA brewers. Um, still one of my favorites, but there's just so much more kind of going on behind the scenes. But um, before we dive into all that, like, I feel like you have a fascinating story. I'm somewhat aware of it through Twitter and your blogs. I mean, you, started in music and then got into brewing like give us give us the 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 history of how you how you got into brewing oh sure sure oh just real quick since you since you mentioned golden road a friend of mine who is also latino was a brewer for golden road and recently uh he took up co-ownership and head brewing uh job title over at a brewery called Upshift in uh, El Segundo, I believe they're located. So uh, that was really cool news that that came in this just like two days ago. Just this this guy I know, great brewer, uh, was building his career with Golden Road. And he had this uh, this chance to have a, own a piece of his own uh, kind of small microbrewery. And he 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 took the leap, and so that was really cool. Uh, so that's, that's happening. Amazing. So yeah. So anybody listening, check out Upshift Brewing Company in uh, Southern California. They're now owned by a Latino, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but to get into my story, um, you know, I I'm 
I'm from Boyle Heights, which is a uh, kind of area in East Los Angeles. Uh, very proud to be from from Boyle Heights. Um, you know, and I I come from a working class family. Um, and when I was a teenager, I joined a band called East LA Sabor Factory. And when I was about 17 years old, we started touring and, and it started just as, as just to do something that was fun. Uh, I, I just enjoyed music and I was soaking everything up in, in regards to, to music. You know, I was trying to learn how to play guitar, trying to learn how to play drums. I started writing lyrics and all, all of that. And um, as the years went on, uh, I became more serious about music and then this thing that I was doing for fun with this band became a, a serious venture. And we were uh, touring nonstop up and down the West Coast. I did some touring um, in Germany, been to Cuba, things like that. We started putting out records. And so I was deep. I, I, I uh, was in this music world deep, right, for, for a really long time. So no. from 17 throughout my entire 20s, uh, throughout my thirties, uh, I'm, I'm about to be 41 on, on Monday. Um, so within that, uh, I gradually shifted around and went from being a member in a band to being a music producer to launching my own record label and, and running my own record label out of my bedroom in my grandparents' home and, <laughs> And uh, that kind of morphed into me being like a concert promoter and putting on events and tours and, and shows. And then I launched my own um, management company and I was helping other artists. By, by, by this time, I had like 10 plus years of doing music. So I had gained a lot of knowledge and I wanted to share it. And, and more specifically, I noticed that there was so many great artists that I knew or that I would come across that just didn't have basic knowledge of what they should be doing. Like, like bands didn't have a, a basic bio or a basic band photo, like just real simple things. And, and there's a lot of great talent out there. And I was like, you know, I could take what I've learned and share it and kind of help fast track some of these bands. And so, um, I started managing and I really, really enjoyed that work. And, um, after managing a few artists, it just so happens that like I end up in Norwalk because this is where my wife is from. So I moved from Boyle Heights to Norwalk to be with my wife and and start our, our family. And I just happened to start working with a couple local bands and um, trying to book them in Norwalk. And there's no venues. I couldn't find anywhere to book these bands. So I started thinking like, well, maybe there's an opportunity here for me to start something where whether it be a like live venue some kind of space where i can showcase this music and then that led to me thinking about like opening up a bar a, a bar and kind of showcasing uh california craft beer i don't necessarily know why i went down this path of thinking about california craft beer and wanting to get into that business um what, I what year home. was that what year was that i'm curious about you you're starting to get this idea about California craft brew. Let's see. Uh, I started managing bands like kind of full time about 2013, 2014. So, well, the maybe, the way it happened. I, the, the reason ahead, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking is that maybe it intersected like 
I think around that time, like that was just becoming a thing, California craft brew, right? Like maybe that was tapping into uh, your mindset. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I was already like drinking beer, like craft beer. I wasn't like deep into it. Like I wasn't standing in long lines at, at breweries waiting to get beer. Uh, I wasn't really going out of my way too much, but I was drinking craft beer for sure. So I, I knew it was something that I enjoyed. And it, I guess it was just more like, oh, this makes sense. You know, if you're going to open up your own bar, like how are you going to make it different from all the other bars that are that are around? Um, and actually, I was thinking more of like a bar and grill where we were going to have some kind of menu and California craft on tap. And really, I was just kind of thinking like, how can I make this different from everything else that's out there? So that's where the idea started. And then um, I, I told myself, wow, if I'm serious about getting into a business that involves craft beer, I should probably know how craft beer is produced. <laughs> and then I thought it would be a great idea to start homebrewing. And at this time, I didn't know anybody who homebrewed, uh, had never tried it, nobody in my family, no friends, no one. And I thought about it for a while. And then one day I'm sitting at my computer and I tell my wife, you know what, I'm going to buy a one gallon homebrew like starter kit and she looks at me like what are you talking about and i was like i'm gonna do it and i'm gonna do it right now because if i don't i probably won't ever do it and i just did it like i went online <laughs> found the first website that i that came up and ordered a one gallon homebrew starter kit and then that literally let me led me down this rabbit hole of homebrewing um That's awesome. this is this is in 2014 so Actually, there's there's a little piece that I left out. Um, in 2014, our youngest daughter was born, and um, during birth, there was some some issues there where we had to stay in the hospital for a, a whole month, the, the 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 entire month of her her life right after she was born. So that first month of life, my wife and I were in the hospital every single day. So it, I don't know if you've ever been to the hospital when somebody's ill, but there's not a lot to do there. You're just sitting around, right? And so uh, I went to the local bookstore and just grabbed a bunch of books so I could read instead of just sitting there waiting and staring at our little baby. And one of the books was uh, called uh, Brewing Up a Business by uh, Sam Calagione, who's the founder of Dogfish Head. And this book chronicles his journey of going of getting into homebrew as a freshman in college. He he and his buddies homebrewed something in their in their college dorm, and it blew his mind. And he was like, "I'm going to start a brewery." And then ultimately, he started a brewery. And now today, you know, Dogfish Head is a multi million dollar uh, business. But anyway, um, so this story talks about how how Sam has this idea. He starts homebrewing, um, and he just he he starts really small. And then grows this thing into a monster, and, and and it just tells this story. So it was really intriguing, and I was like, man, that's that's such an interesting business. And I just loved the the scrappiness of the story. I loved how this person, much like myself, didn't have any previous knowledge of the industry or how to in terms of producing beer. Um, although Sam. Um, definitely had a little bit more re resources where the people in his life could actually uh, 
help him fund this project where me i had nobody who could just say here's 150k go do your thing <laughs> but um so uh so i i read this book i buy the kit i brew this beer uh, on my stovetop it's a one gallon batch so like one gallon of beer is about probably just over a six pack of 12 ounce bottles and so it took me about two two and a half weeks to go from brewing the actual recipe to having beer in a bottle that I can drink. And um, I opened the bottle and there was that, that uh, hiss from the, from the carbonation. It was like, and I was like, Oh wow, it sounds like beer. And I smelled it. I was like, yes, it smells, smells like beer. And I take a swig and I was like, okay, it kind of tastes like beer. It's not great, but Oh my God. Like, I made this on my stovetop. Like my, I just blew my own mind. Like, what the? How come nobody ever told me this? You know. Um, so I, I start to, you know, try and brew other recipes and, and try to learn more. And you know, when you go, when you get into home brewing and you start to go online and you like search questions, you'll you'll end up in these like forums and in chat rooms, and there's like a million different answers for one simple question and everybody has their own way of going about it and everybody is like my way is the best way do it like this and so it was you know it was a lot to take in again i was a newbie i didn't know anybody so i took to facebook and i was like hey anybody here ever homebrew i have some questions one guy messaged me who i didn't even know we were facebook friends turns out he knows me because he had gone to a couple of uh, shows of mine, whether it be live with the band or, or DJing or one of the bands that I was managing. I, I can't remember, but he was like, yeah, man, I, I've, I've seen you around, been to a few shows, uh, music things that you're doing. I've been homebrewing and I've been doing it for five years. What's up? Uh, and so we, we start talking and we ult- ultimately meet up and then that meeting uh, leads to me meeting like five other homebrewers, all Latino. And then us, it was a total of seven. So seven of us get together and decide to start the SoCal Cerveceros Homebrew Club, which today, and even when we started, this is 2015, by the way, spring 2015, we are the largest Latino-based homebrew club in the country. Um and really, for me, my journey in craft beer and my route to the industry starts there. It, it Without the SoCal Cerveceros Homebrew Club, I don't think I end up here talking to you today about beer. That's incredible. And um, what an inspiring story. I mean, now you got me thinking I need to order one of those gallons and uh, do a homebrew. Do, do um, it. And, <laughs> and if you have questions, I got you. Yeah, I, I, I do. I have a ton of questions, but this is about you. Um, we So like, I think what really interests me is kind of this intersection. You know, you, you talked a little bit when I talked about the, the mango, mango pineapple brew um, that's got like a social cause behind it, which is great. I mean, I think this is the first time I've been exposed to collaborations like this in the beer industry. Um, and I think Norwalk Brew and yourself, you sit at this really interesting intersection of Latinos, craft beer, SoCal, like that social movement. Um, is this something that's kind of new in the beer industry, this this intersection of these things? Or like, I don't know, I guess I want you to like kind of help me unpack 
that? Like, is this is this a, a, a sub segment, or do you feel like kind of this the social impact is where craft brew is headed? So I think uh, we are definitely seeing more of that happen now where breweries are um, are going out of their way to support some kind of social cause or do what they can to give back. Um, I don't know what was going on prior to me getting into this space, so I can't speak to that. I do know that because now we're seeing a little uptick in people of color um, get into craft beer, where what what I'm seeing is as more people of color enter the space, we're seeing business kind of shift. Well, not so much. I mean, what what I'm seeing specifically is people of color conduct themselves differently. So the friends that I have who have gone on to open up breweries don't necessarily operate the same as let's say, um, some of the white-owned breweries that I know of. Um, You know, this is really interesting. Uh, I was talking to a writer recently, and she asked me, um, she was like, you know, I I see Norwalk Brewhouse uh, supporting all of these causes, and and it looks like that's a core part of your plan, your, your, your business plan, is, you know, how do you pick and choose which causes you support? And my answer was, you know, as a person of color, as a marginalized person, I don't necessarily get to pick and choose social causes, social causes that I support. The things that are on my radar, the things that I care about, the things that I want to help have always been there. Even when I was doing music prior to me making the move into craft beer. So it's different for somebody like me. Whereas you know, somebody else who's not Latino from the projects of Boyle Heights, uh, who owns a brewery, um, their experience is a lot different, you know? So um, I, I, am I going on a tangent or am I still no, answering no, your this question? Is, no, this is, keep going. This is exactly what I wanted to get to. And I, and I think what you're tapping on, and I asked that because, so, you know, we've, did research recently around diversity and inclusion. Um, and because we help right large, large organizations and government agencies, um, I wanted to get beyond uh, this, lack of better words, kind of performative mm-hmm. diversity yeah. inclusion. And I, and I wanted to ask consumers, okay, I, I think we can agree for the most part that diversity and inclusion is good. Now, I, I caveat by saying that there's, yes, there's a lot of people in this country that don't think it's good, but I, I think the overwhelming majority of people think that it's a good step. And and what I wanted to understand through our research is, okay, we agree that it's good, fine, but how does that affect your purchasing habits? And I was happily, um, I, I don't want to say surprised, but we found out that um Companies that support diversity and inclusion, I think Norwalk Brew for sure falls under that, right? Broadly, customers are now want to purchase from brands that have that as a core value. And so it's kind of interesting. I mean, I think I, I asked you that question because 
what I'm hearing is like you came at that from authentically lived experience. Like you want to help people like you that, um, you know, came, didn't have an advantageous background, let's say. Right. Um, and I think, I, I think it's great. You're supporting, for example, not only Latinos, but women in brewing, which is an issue. And I, I think you've shared some articles that I wasn't even aware of. Um, so like I went down that rabbit hole and it makes sense. Um, but like, it's, I think it's really interesting. Like you organically started this company that's doing good, but from a consumer perspective, it's actually a good business decision as well, because we are now at this time where consumers are now purchasing not only about brand quality and good beer, because I think that's a given, but also what do you represent and and how are you helping move culture for, forward from a diversity and inclusion perspective? Right. You know, um, that topic is, is a very hot one in the craft beer. Um, there's been a lot that has happened in the last two years. Um, especially post uh, George Floyd murder um, and all of that social uprising, uh, there was a spotlight shown, I mean, in, in, in all areas across the country, right? Like whether you were in tech, finance, whatever, you know, we, we started to, to see how there was a lack of diversity in, in areas um, everywhere, right? Uh, specifically in craft beer, those numbers were staggering. Like, what, what are some of those numbers? So, um, the uh, BA, which is the uh, Brewers Association, recently released a new um, report where they pulled like 500 breweries uh, in in this uh, country and um those numbers came back and it it showed that 93.5 percent were white owned breweries where just 2.2 percent were owned by non non-white people specifically latinos um but and prior is this is this, is this uh, craft brews by the way we're not talking about big beer yeah, definitely. Or, or big, big beer, big beer is all white. That's one hundred percent white. There's <laughs> there's no people of color in big beer. Uh, but this specifically is breaking down ownership of craft breweries. Uh, okay. So five hundred. So five hundred pulled, and you know, I I could send you the the link so you can you know cross reference or whatever, fact check yeah. and whatnot. Um, but uh, but so Latino ownership is they their numbers show two point two percent. Prior to, to this coming out, the information that I have always seen was less than 1%. So if you've been following me on Twitter, you you have, will have seen me tweet that out. Like less than 1% of ownership in craft brewery is Latino slash BIPOC, if you will. Um, and then that breaks down to like uh, 23% is roughly female in, in owned breweries and to 75.6% male-owned breweries. Um, but the interesting thing is that people of color and women beer drinkers are growing at a fast pace. Like, there's a lot of us and them out there, yet it's not reflected in the ownership in craft beer. So there's a huge gap there. 
um, yeah, these numbers are crazy. And, and I mean, so this gets me to thinking like, um, so we, we did, uh, research not on the brewer side, but on the consumer side, I I think I might've shared that with you. Um, if I didn't, I'll resend it to you, but we did a really cool study. Um, we were looking at from a multicultural perspective, because that's kind of all we do, right? Um, like, how do Latino consumers define luxury? Alcohol? Oh, yes. I, yes, I read that. You know, um, and, and you're right. Like, we're, from a cultural perspective, like, the, and I think this goes for anything, right? Because one thing I tell a lot of our clients is when we talk about race and ethnicity, like, that's... The, it's a poor proxy for culture. That's what we're getting at when we talk about race and ethnicity. We're talking about culture. And culturally, sure. like we just consume different flavors than other cultures. That's what it's about. And that's what this study was breaking down. Um, so as a beer fan, I'd love to see breweries start to brew beers to our taste buds and palates, right? It's been really cool. Um that being said, as I start to dig in, I'm like, huh, it's not, you know, people, it's people that are not Latino making Latino flavored beers, which is kind of, right. I don't know. Like, yeah. So let's, let's, let's kind of jump into that for a bit, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, because it's, it's something that I have thought about deeply, uh, given that, you know, so, okay, just for your, for everybody listening, um, I don't own a brick and mortar brewery. What I'm doing right now is called contract brewing. So I work on a beer recipe. I have a brewery partner. I take my recipe to the brewery. They brew it for me. And then, you know, they package it in my, my branded, um, cans and, and kegs. And then I take that and self-distribute to re- retail. Um, so my business model is is a little trickier in that I don't have a tap room where I could try all kinds of different beer flavors and styles and then serve it directly to the consumer and see what works. Um, you know, like, I don't know, Tamarindo sour, like that might, that sounds delicious. It probably can be delicious, but I have to be careful because I'm bringing beer to market for a wider uh, consumer base, I guess. Um, Whereas if I had a tap room, I could, I would have more room to, to try different things. if, If that makes sense. Um, I, I, I will say, I mean, I'm not a brewer. You know the industry more than I do. From, <laughs> our, from our research, though, um, Latin American flavors resonate across all oh, consumers. Yes. So, okay, like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> okay. Well, what 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 I what I'm getting at is one. You're 100 correct, and I 100. Um. I'm on board with that, and and I, I've seen it work with my friends who own breweries who are actually crafting beers specifically pulling from our culture. Uh, again, like like tamarindo flavored beer, and you know flavors that are similar. 
but what, what, what I'm getting at is like, there's such a large number of Latinos who have not gotten into craft beer. And a lot of them that are, that do drink beer are drinking the, the macro light beers that have been around forever that have been just the biggest beers around, right? Like Budweiser, Miller Light, things like that. So the those those particular beers are not very flavorful, right? But the consumers that are reaching for those beers have been drinking those beers forever. And oftentimes like, you know, uh newer drinkers coming into the space who are just, you know, turning 21 or who are in their early 20s and just getting into beer they're drinking beers at at their family functions right and and they're reaching for the beers that are that their uncles and parents drink or whatever but like so right exactly so <clears throat> so it's like how do i reach those consumers how do i one convert the ones that are already hooked on those macro loggers and two how do i bring in newer drinkers um so for me in in my business model it's a little bit more trickier like sure i could brew some crazy like i don't know um orchata stout whatever right and Which put it out I, into- I, so a big brew did that or does that i think Oh man, um, who brews? There's a few out there. Oh, the, are, are you the, thinking the, about a uh, blue Blue Moon? Yes, the, the Blue Moon yeah. brand. Yeah, I think that's owned by Coors. That was but delicious. Yes, I, I mean, that. I have to. <laughs> sure. I don't know if you ever got it. It was good. And and this is another question for you. And I'm sorry, I'll let you finish your question. Yeah, like, yeah. go ahead. I have another question though. After that, please. No, finish so that. I, I I'm just trying to make the point that. Those kinds of beers that you mentioned, yes, people are into those beers, um, but it's kind of like a like a slippery slope right now. At, at for for me at least, because I have to put out a product that's kind of middle of the road if I'm trying to reach as many people as I can. If if I'm trying to bring them on, so I can't hit them with a crazy beer at first. Like I have to kind of nudge them along. You know what I mean? I have to like. Okay, here's here's a beer that's similar to uh, Bud Light, similar to that uh, Modelo that you enjoy, but it's it's brewed by the dude from the hood, <laughs> who's not a big time <clears throat> corporation. Uh, you know, it's so I, I'm, I'm kind of taking that angle if that makes sense. It, it does, and. I have a response to that, but maybe you and I can talk about that offline. Um, I, I could share some research that we've done that I think will give you some direction there. But that being said, I, I wanted to get to, like, I think I told you before the podcast, like, for sure, Big Beer is listening to the podcast. What up, Big Beer? Um, is there, and like I mentioned to you, like I think I think that was a yearly thing that Blue Moon came out, and I, for a couple of years I bought it um, before I got into craft beer. And um, actually, um, Alchemy Brew Barney Santos's uh, brewery there at Boulevard Market. Shout out to Boulevard Market. They have an Orchata Stout, 
I, I forget who brews it, but like I've been I think they have the the horchata stout from Border X. Okay, yeah, like amazing, amazing, great, great beer. Um, but like, I guess my question to you, from your perspective, like, is there a way for big beer to use Latino flavors in a way that still, I don't know, that's like. I I don't even know what what how to how to say it. That doesn't feel like appropriation, I guess. Um, is there a way for, <laughs> is there a way for big beer to do that in a way and support Latino owned brewers, maybe or consumers? I mean, I don't know. Is is is, is there a roadmap for them? Sure. Uh, well, for be, before I answer that, I want to say like. I don't knock big beer. Like I don't think we have a beer industry if it's if big beer doesn't exist, right? Because big beer today at one point was small beer. <laughs> you yeah. Know, this, you know, this is like over time, right? They they grew and then businesses change and companies got bought out. And now some of our our beloved uh beer brands that we believe are staples in this country are not even owned by a company that's based in this country. And I don't want to get into that, but I just want to say that I'm not knocking big beer because oftentimes when I get into these conversations and depending on who you speak to within craft beer, some of the smaller guys are like anti-big beer. And that's kind of, that is like generally the, not generally, but you you can run into that. And I just want to say like, I'm not knocking big beer. Like, no, I, I have no and I appreciate you know, that perspective and I'm not either. I, I I didn't mean to position the question like that because also like for me personally on my beer journey, like I wouldn't be a craft beer drinker if not for big beer, right? Like sure, right? Yeah, you have to have that, that gateway, right? You have to have that that light bud bud light or Budweiser beer to get you in the door, right? Um, but but to to get back to your question specifically, um, yeah, I I do think there's a way for the bigger beer companies to market to this segment without, um, you know, it's, it's a slippery slope. Like so many companies, not even just, not even big beer, but so many companies that in their, um, uh, what am I trying to say here? Okay. So there's so many companies that have been, doing business as usual, totally ignoring this consumer, right? Us. Um, and so now they realize that there's a huge space that they, have, they haven't even tapped into. So now they're trying to get in, right? Because our, our, our buying power is crazy, especially in beer, right? You, and so what I've noticed, at least what it feels like to me, is like you have these beer companies who are kind of just they see there's an opportunity there, but they're kind of lazy about it. For example, and again, I I, I don't want to, I don't mean to call anybody out specifically or, <laughs> or, you know, throw shade, but there's a, there's a, uh, there's a certain beer brand that exists that had a lot of success with a beer. They took that beer, they, they added a little lime to their recipe and they slapped on a Spanish name. They then recruited a 
a up and coming band from East LA who does cumbia music. And they shot a bunch of commercials and they ran a bunch of advertising with this band. And obviously the idea was to market to a younger quote unquote Latinx beer drinker. Um, when I saw that, I was like, that is so freaking lazy. Like, I don't know. It just didn't feel like it was authentic to me. And what I'm observing is like these bigger brands are rushing to catch up. Like, how do we reach that drinker? Like you, like you, you, you haven't been paying attention to us this entire time. All of a sudden you see the opportunity and you think slapping a, a Spanish name on your beer that already exists is gonna is gonna do the trick. Like I don't think so. Um, so if if you're a big beer company and you're looking to getting if you're looking to reach this consumer, you should at at the very least have somebody on your team that's from from this segment of people. Um, you know. It's it's so easy to ask somebody who is Mexican, how do I how do I sell something to you? As opposed to just guessing, right? There's another beer company. Again, I don't want to name anybody specifically or or I don't want to out anybody, but if you know, you know. They they launched a new uh brand recently, and they basically placed what looks like a sugar skull or some version of a sugar skull on their branding. And it's clear they're trying to reach more Latinos. But like how played out is the sugar skull? Like it's it's just lazy to me. Um, and it just feels like somebody on their team was like, we need to reach this segment. How do we do that? Who has ideas? And nobody in the room is, is, is a brown person or a person that speaks Spanish or, you know, and it's just like, oh, they celebrate Dia de los Muertos. They like vibrant colors. Uh, They often use sugar skulls. Let's do that. Like, it just seems so uh, lazy to me. I I mean, I I think your point is is well taken. And we've actually researched that in terms of authenticity. and I'm I'm gonna just do a shameless plug here. Like, if you're not hiring someone on your staff, I think one thing that has worked well, like if you look at entertainment, uh, Coco, for example, Disney, like they hired and worked with consultants like Lalo Alacras, right? Um, so just working with people or companies that are from that culture, I think. I think could 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 go a long way as well, right? Instead of you um, relying on played out motifs or stereotypes. Look, man, we're we're tired of lowriders. We're tired of sugar skulls. We're tired of the word sabor on packaging. <laughs> Where, <laughs> or how about the accent? On just the random accent on a on a exactly on a vowel. <laughs> yeah, like everything is not fuego, bro. <laughs> You know, and 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 it's it's tricky because like, okay, if 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 you don't know anybody in your life who's Latino, 
uh, I totally get it because Latino is like a blanket term, right? Within Latino or Latinx, there's so many of us. And so you can't just slap a sugar skull on the label of a beer and expect to see growth in the Latin market. Like, who is that speaking to? Is it speaking to people of Mexican descent? Is it speaking to Latinos from Central America? Like, those are things that these companies don't understand because they've, they've never tried to understand it. So you, if you're in big beer or a company in general looking to penetrate the Latino market, you need to have somebody on your team who understands. Yeah. <laughs> no, for, for sure. I mean, I think that's, that's a great point. Um, and consumers are more savvy than ever, than any time in history. So they will see right through some of those kind of inauthentic ways to connect with communities. Um, one thing before we finish up that I wanted to ask your opinion about is this, this no alcohol movement. It's really interesting. I've, I've been tapping in and, you know, following certain, you know, food and beverage kind of trendsetters and this no alcohol movement. I think it's been picking up for this past several years. It seems to be, it seems to be coming up more through like Gen Z. Um, I'm, I'm dating myself, right? These young kids now, Gen Z, like, <laughs> you know, and and younger, right? Because I think there's, I think, I think there's 21 year olds that are maybe even Gen Alpha or something. But, um, anyways, like, are, are you? Have you been keeping a pulse on that? How do you feel about that as a brewer? Um, I guess I just want your opinion, like what's your opinion on that, that movement and why do you think it's coming about and, yeah. and how can, how can the beer industry respond? Because now there's non-alcoholic beers and I'm, I've been getting those ads on Instagram about non-alcoholic beer. And I'm like, why would I buy that? But it seems like it's a thing. Yeah. That, that segment, that segment, uh, is, is blowing up right now. And, uh, if you look at the hard seltzers and anything that's like non, like for example, a uh, hard seltzer, hard tea, hard kombucha, these are often referred to as better for you products, where it would, which is kind of like not technically true because you're consuming alcohol. Are, are they, is, <laughs> so, is, is it is it the is it the vaping of beer? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's funny. That's funny. I haven't ha heard anybody say that, but yeah, it's very similar because like look, for me, I think hard kombucha is a little weird because people who consume kombucha, you do it for its healthy properties. So, you're going to consume something that's healthy in its natural state but now has alcohol that is not necessarily healthy for you. <laughs> like, I don't get it. But um, uh, so, yeah, you know, many of these products, especially hard seltzer, like part of what helped seltzer, uh, hard seltzer blow up is that they're, they're pitched as low calorie drinks. And so um, people who are, looking to consume less calories and quote unquote better for you lifestyle or, or lead a better for you lifestyle um, started reaching for these hard seltzers. And I think what we're seeing is like 
um, all of that stuff carrying over to like non-alk uh, beverages. And so, um, yeah, and, and I think a lot of these consumers are are uh, younger and these consumers, like, like you mentioned, are uh, thinking twice about what they reach for and they're more um, interested in drinking, not, not so much drinking something to get, you know, wasted and, and, and put on the pounds, but they're, they're, they're looking to enjoy their time and drinking something that they, they believe is better for them. Uh, and that's like a, a lower calorie drink. So yeah, I have been keeping a pulse on it. I've, um, there's a brewery, one brand that's kind of championing this, this non-alc movement. They're called, um, athletic brewing that's 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 the advertising i got that's the advertising i got i Um, mean this company is they have they raise millions of dollars in funding um they started building out breweries across the country uh maybe two three places or something like that so there's actual so wow so there's like they're taking the brewery model and making it non-alc Right. But what, what they, this, uh, company specifically, what they've done is they've created a bunch of partnerships with, um, uh, people, you know, people that, that play basketball, football players, runners, like, like they're, so they have really healthy people that are in tip top shape promoting this brand. Um, so it's definitely this push for "Quote unquote better for you products, and uh, the you know you you look at their packaging and it and it looks like a regular beer, uh, but it's it's well done. It's it's it, it looks good, and if if you didn't know any better and you see somebody holding their can at a party, you just think they're drinking a beer. So I think that also helps. Is that people who may not want to be drinking beer but not feel like they're that odd person out at a, at a at a function they can be sipping on this non-alcoholic beverage and nobody would even know unless they actually look at the label so i think you know that's that's a a, a major selling point to those products so here's a question for me that i just thought like so because because I, I was looking at this as like you know is this an existential crisis for the alcohol industry <laughs> um and maybe not i mean maybe do you think that they are tapping into a consumer that maybe would have never drank beer and alcohol? Like, in other words, are they opening up a new market? What is the overlap between beer drinker and non-alcohol beer drinker? Or is it situational? Like, because there are times, like, I've been in those, like, I'm a beer drinker, but sometimes um, I just don't want to drink. And then, you know, you're at a party and people are like, dude, come on, come on, come on. And you have a drink and then, you know, um, <laughs> so I, I see that in, in certain situations and uh, maybe it would be good for me to have a six pack of athletic brew to just have that, you know, so people don't ask me, but, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess my question is, is like, do you think it's a, like a new market of consumers that would have never necessarily consumed beer or are they taking some share away from traditional alcoholic beers? Uh, I don't think that they're taking away share. Uh, I think if, if you're into craft beer, 
um, you're not going to ditch craft beer to drink non-alcohol beer unless you have to, right? Unless like, you know, you have issues with consuming alcohol and you're out of control. Well, then you got to go the other way, right? But um, I, I, I don't see non-alcohol beverages taken away. I do see them bringing new customers into the segment. Uh, as as you said, like maybe people who would never consider drinking craft beer. Um, but more than anything, it, it feels like to me, their core consumer is just somebody who wants to live a healthier lifestyle. Um, and so they're not necessarily drinking craft beer often to begin with. Um, in, in my own experience, you know, there's been times where I kind of take breaks, you know, uh, and this is obviously pre-pandemic where, you know, I can socialize and be at parties or events. And, and there's been times where I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to chill out. I'm not going to drink beer or, or any kind of alcohol. Um, and yeah, it, it's weird when you're in a group with friends and you're the only one not drinking, people are asking questions. So I found myself walking around with at least something in my hand so that for one, I kind of go through the motions of like drinking, uh, for, and then two, nobody's asking me, where's your drink? You want a drink? Can I buy you a drink? Let me get you a drink. Like none of that happens. <laughs> um, so I, I think, um, People who are in that situation, again, can walk around with a non-alc beer and be okay. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and this has been a fantastic conversation, man. I can talk to you um, some uh, We might have to do a part two, but um, we're heading up on our time here. If people want to connect with you on social, what's the best way to to find you? So there, there's really two places that I'm um, most active. One is on Twitter, and you can just follow me at Ray Ricky Rivera. The other is Instagram at Norwalk Brewhouse. The, the 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 full name of my brand is Norwalk Brewhouse. Uh, you can also just Google Norwalk Brewhouse, and you'll find us on all social media platforms. Uh, definitely visit the website NorwalkBrewhouse.com and sign up for the. Uh, newsletter that we have uh something we do probably about once once a month or so and it's just you know news about what's 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 happening with norwalk brew house so we're getting ready to launch our flagship beer it's gonna uh, hit the market late january it's called the beady beady blonde blonde um and i'm excited so that's coming so definitely follow us uh to know where that's gonna be and when it's gonna be out Awesome. I'm excited to uh, have some beady, beady, blonde, blonde. And uh, thanks again for coming on, Ray. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Thanks to everyone listening in. To get more multicultural insights, check us out at thinknow.com and follow us on social media. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. Final thank you to our producer, Lucas Martinez, who created our intro music and makes our podcast sound great. Email him, reach out to martinez.lucas.a at gmail.com.